Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Puck Talk Live podcast. My name is Logan Rosengard. With me on the call, as always, we've got Rafi Serafian, and we've got Noah Foster. Thursday, March 11th, 2021, the only Thursday, March 11th, 2021, we're ever going to have. Pretty sure I made it a good one, but boys, how are you guys doing tonight? Uh, I was reminded, I woke up this morning, and okay, also it's a great Thursday, you know, happy to be here. And I looked at Instagram and was reminded that exactly a year ago today, all the major sports leagues shut down due to this unknown virus called COVID-19 that no one had ever really heard of before. No, so it, it's weird. Like it, it was a so very cool. strange feeling being like, wow, that I was eerily, a year ago. I eerily remember being like, so a little foreshadowing and to paint a little picture for everyone listening who is not too familiar. I was in the, we have a lab area in the broadcasting room at our school. And I just remember yeah, me, getting you ready and to watch. Johnny. It was, yeah, in front of the podcast. And Jonathan PK, and we're, I think, too, because it was on We are getting ready for the March Madness ACC games, I believe, right we during were, lunch. We were waiting for the ACC tournament, the Big Ten tournament, and the SEC Big tournament. Of all the tournaments I to think begin. I think all the major tournaments that were supposed to go. The uh, ACC started the day before. They always started day ahead because they have more teams. But, yeah, we were getting ready for those, and then... We just yeah. slowly watching on every screen in the broadcasting room in the editing lab uh, as each tournament canceled, as each game just slowly was like, all right, we can't, we're going, we're done. And we, there was a game that started. I think the SEC tournament. Uh, it was the, Well, it probably did start, but I do know that Florida State was came on for warm-ups. I forgot who they were playing, but they came on to warm-ups. And right after that, they see it was like, we're not doing it. And they just crowned Florida State, who was who had the best conference record. They crowned them the champions. And they're like, we're done with the tournament. So it was, I mean, it's hard to say that it was, like, to compare it to a situation. Because this is hopefully something that's once in a lifetime that happens. But it was just such a weird day. It was, it was so because you because it was our senior year too. It was just a really weird. We didn't know what was happening. A lot of questions, but yeah, you know, sports is bad. It was a weird weekend. Very weird weekend. Like it. It. This was the we, This is the weekend a year ago today. That. I mean, a year ago this weekend, right? Like March thirteenth is Saturday. A year ago Saturday. We got that, you know, we were like, holy cow, we're just like, this is, it's, it, you know, we'll be back. But th- this is the week where everything kind of just like, holy cow, this is a weird, weird week. Like, I was supposed to, th- there were so many things. I was supposed to go to Disney. It was, we were supposed to be going to Bensonville that Saturday to watch the state semifinal for the high school hockey tournament. You know, there, there were like a bazillion things planned that just, in, in a snap, gone. Done. What's crazy now looking back is like, <clears throat> all that stuff probably could have happened relatively safely, at least compared to now, right? Where oh, there were yeah, very few like cases if, in, in the U.S. Um, I don't so think anyone in 
the district had it. Like, no, nobody that we knew had it. So we probably, like, it probably would have been fine if things ran smoothly, at least for that As weekend. It's, it was the fear of not knowing still what it was and what was happening. Oh, yeah. Where people were just engraved in fear where they were just not willing to risk it. And, I mean... You, you you all have seen the science. There's not too much to debate about it. But at the end of the day, it was like you don't want to take any chances. So I, no, I understand. And thank God. Like I I mean I I would have been with everyone. I don't know. I probably could have gotten sick, right? Like we all would have. We all could have gotten sick from being at the hockey game. We all I could have gone to Disney and in Florida of all places. Let me remind you where Disney World is. Uh, I could have came back and given it to everyone in the town. But you know it. it Thankfully, we all stayed healthy. We got through that first two months of quarantine, and uh, you know the rest the is history. But we got the podcast, right yeah. There. So, so you I'm, know what? I'm it was, it was due time for I'm it. Fairly certain we are coming up. I think next weekend. Uh, I think next weekend is going to be the one year anniversary. Of the pod, if my yeah, March nineteenth, which is this year, is a Saturday. Is a Friday it is a Friday. Oh, oh so the next Oh, never mind. Show is going to be up on the uh, year anniversary. So that's that? actually it's so weird to think about. Like I know we have news to talk about. I know we want to talk about, uh, you know, women's hockey because it is we. Missed, didn't miss, but we had just passed uh, Women's History Day or National Women's Day, and it's Women's History Month in March, and that's something we want to talk about and touch on. But it, it's so crazy. Like I don't think you can avoid ha- not talking about this crazy. Like it's been 365 days for for I most mean, of the country, for most other parts of the world that isn't China and Italy. I mean, I just need to applaud how quick everything was. Like, there was a lot of action that was done. The vaccine is already being administrated. It's been, it was basically less than a year turnaround. It was a very good job by those in the government to get everything all co- oh, yeah. cooperate and work together on this because it, it could have been a much longer ride. I mean, we, I don't know if you guys did research, but like, the Spanish flu back in like the 1900s, like that went away, but that took years among years just because the technology, obviously, in the ni- early 1900s wasn't as good as it was. I as mean, it is thank now. God. I, I think it's totally under under talked about and underappreciated, just like how you're right, like scientists and national boards of health and international boards of health jumped on top of figuring what the hell is happening, figuring out what the hell is going on. And, I mean, even now, like, even a year after, right, we're still learning things and we're still adapting. But it's definitely not as scary. It's definitely not as much of an unknown. I think the 7.3 billion people on the planet have adapted in such a way that it, you know, it's not normal. Like, I I, I hate the term, this is the new normal. We're going to have to live with this. And sure, we're probably going to have to live with masks. Sure, we're probably going to have to live with the idea that COVID-19 is going to be a virus for a long time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, you know, not being able to gather, not being able to go out with people. 
that's not normal to me. And I don't care how, what way you put it, but recent, like in the last few months, everything, I, I think it's just been great. Like the progress internationally, you know, you see countries overseas, you know, you see Australia, New Zealand, there's full bars, there's full venues. Uh, President Biden just announced that all adults 18 years and older will be able to get vaccinated by, you know, starting May 1st, which is huge. That things are things are looking better a year later. It's step. Thank God for the internet. Thank God for technology. So, it it's just so like it's just so crazy to me. Like I don't know what the hell things things would be so different if we didn't have this pandemic. And I'm not saying like you know things would be normal. Th- you know, kind of different. I mean like things would be totally different. Like I wouldn't know half of what I know about certain things i wouldn't have met certain people done certain things it it's just crazy like i it's so hard to not talk about how crazy the last 365 days have been considering I mean, that you this look is like at year to the day yeah like I'll, I'll look through pictures from last year and i'll be like oh my gosh like this person was like this like this happened here with this with me it's just it's just nuts and just to put a bow on it after a whole year I still can't make a good bracket. My Big 12 bracket got busted just now because <laughs> West Virginia lost Oklahoma State. So that's hey, March. At least well, maybe this normal. is March. This is March. But speaking about other milestones, but in a more broader and nicer term, the three of us got to enjoy before the what was a 6-1 to one or 5-1 to one onslaught by the Dallas Stars, Patrick Kane's 1,000th game. And this was one Kane. another thing where it's just nuts that it's been – a thousand games for the, and I'm going to say the best American born player of all time. 100%. I I think, I think that's an unarguable stance. Like when the dust settles, Mike Madonna is awesome. Like I, I am a believer that currently before Patrick Kane retires, it goes Mike Madonna, Eddie Olchuk, and then Patrick Kane. But when Patrick Kane retires, go greatest American of all, all time. I don't think you can argue that. If you do, I'm sorry you're wrong. Like, I, I haven't, I've never seen Mike Madonna play. I'd never seen him play. I didn't grow up then. I didn't see Eddie Olchuk play. I didn't grow up then. I do not think, pa- Patrick Kane is a totally different, it's, he's the GOAT. Sorry. That, sorry, Dallas Stars fans. Sorry, Toronto Maple Leafs slash old-time Blackhawks fans. Patrick Kane. Best American of all time. Let's, the three of us, roundtable this. Start with you, Foster, because you've been quiet. Let's each go around and talk about our favorite goals. Because there have been, a, like, you know, you can't have a, you know, goal number 273 was my favorite. But, like, there's some pretty memorable goals that this guy has had throughout his career. I mean, three Stanley Cups, a Hart Trophy, a Ted Lindsay, and Art Ross, to name a few. He's got a... Con Smythe in there. This guy's done everything. Let's talk about a few of his most memorable moments. Foster, what comes to mind when you think about a memorable goal? If you're thinking Patrick Kane, well, first of all, you're thinking that spin, that spinorama, a deadly spinorama on the right-hand side. But more specifically, second, uh, second cup, 2013, Western Western Conference Final against the LA Kings, Game Six. If you are if you have, if you were 
old enough to remember that clearly, you'll probably know what goal I'm talking about. Double overtime, Patrick Kane scores, and with an absolute killer of a celebration, the heartbreaker, probably one of the most iconic Patrick Kane moments ever, is got to be up there on my top, on my top Kane moments. I, it's just absolutely chills to watch that over and over and over again. Never gets old. Falafel, let's look over at yours. What goal comes to mind? Because I know you're, compared to Foster and I, uh, you're a little newer of a Hawks fan. You kind of, I'm not calling you a bandwagon. This is just more of a fact. You showed up around, uh, around time of the Blackhawks Cups, around the first cup, which isn't a bad thing. Like, I'm not going to tell you, you know, you're a bandwagon fan because you're not. Well, yeah, I know you. What, oh, what goal comes to mind because of that? Well, I know you're going to cover it, but if we're talking, like, first goal I remember watching hockey was Patrick Kane's OT winner versus the Flyers. But I'll let you have the honor of talking about that, Logan. Uh, and obviously, as in any young kid, you see a player for your city score a goal, you're going to – he's probably going to be your favorite player. There's a small chance. But I'm going to go with something that I remember a bit better, and that's the 2013 Game 5 hat-trick. Those three goals, three is better than one, which, and he scored the game winner versus the Kings in overtime. I still remember that beautiful pass set up from Jonathan Tays. And I just remember staying up all night watching that game. My parents were like, Rafi, you got to go to bed. You got school tomorrow. Rafi, you got summer camp tomorrow. You're working. And I was just like, I don't care. I'm watching the end of this. And oh boy, that was just a great game. And obviously, to cap it off, third Stanley Cup. It's always a good time when the Hawks are winning. And Patrick Kane, oh my God. It, it's just such a memorable moment. The heartbreaker celebration. Iconic, just to say the least. And as you alluded on, one of my favorite memories, I, I've i been going to Blackhawks games since I was two. My grandfather had season tickets. He sold them off after the first, you know, we split them after the first cup, and then he sold the rest of them off after the second cup. Uh, so needless to say, I'm a pretty big Blackhawks fan and I didn't really, uh, I understood it. Like I knew what was happening. I knew that the Blackhawks were in the Stanley cup. I knew that it was overtime and I knew that a goal needed to be scored in order for the Blackhawks to win the Stanley cup for the first time in like 60 some odd years. I understood that. But, you know, I, I, I wasn't necessarily old enough to understand it like I do now how important and how meaningful that was. Beside the point, I vividly remember being on the couch with my parents. My sister is dead asleep. She's like, she's like six, maybe five, right? Because if it was 2010, that I was like eight or nine. And... I remember my mom like, I can't watch. I can't watch. And my dad's like, oh, shh, be quiet. Shut up. Just, just watch the game. And I'm there like, oh, my God, I don't know what's happening. But I'm, I'm like nervous. I'm tense. And he buries it in the back of the net. Nobody knew. And we were – everyone was confused. I didn't know what was going on. My dad didn't know what was going on. And figuring out that it went in and seeing that it went behind Michael Layton, Blackhawks legend, by the way. I, I, it was a peak 
moment as like a young eight-year-old impressionable hockey player growing up in America at that time, there there was no other player you wanted to be other than Patrick Kane. I wanted to be Patrick Kane. I wanted to be like Patrick Kane. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to do that when I'm older. Turns out that didn't happen. Yeah, and I'm just a I'm just a bum college kid. But it it was well, a, a hell of a memory. You see Austin Matt and I forgot. I think Patrick Sharp said this on NBC. He's like, look at Austin Matthews. How look at the Tchucks with their um with their mouth cards. They do it like Patrick Kane. There's so many American hockey players. Brock Buster. So many American hockey players. Young American hockey players. They were seeing just. You, you just see them and you see how much Patrick Kane has impacted them. And that's kind of the big thing that separates someone who's a He's very a good influential generational talent. And he doesn't like he lets his game do a lot of the talking. He's not the most social guy. He's not always gonna be he's vocal when he has to, but he's not the he's not the guy energy guy. But when you see him play, that is all the energy you need for your team. And that's just amazing. And then from those years, so many great players. Another guy, Brent Seabrook. And where he did I'm I'm just gonna say say it. He did not retire. He's not playing anymore. <laughs> because whenever someone says they retire, I think their salary cap is their salary's off the books. Brent Seabrook is done playing. He's hung up the skates, but the salary cap stays on. And only if really affects the Hawks in the offseason. But yes, Brett Seabrook. 1,114 games played for the Blackhawks, three Stanley Cups. And, and arguably one, ha- half one of, of one of the greatest defensive duos in their prime of all time. However, and the goals as well in 2013 as well, capping off a 3-1 series comeback in game seven in overtime. A beautiful wrist shot past Jimmy Howard. And we kind of speculated this happening, but it was just the fact that it's actually happened is just kind of it's kind of nuts to think about. But best wishes to him as he recovers. And thanks for everything, Zeebs. Appreciate it. I don't know if you two realize this, but obviously with the Seattle expansion draft, I was imagining a lot of these offseason extensions to be done post the Seattle expansion draft or in place and then officially signed after the Seattle expansion draft in order to not worry about protecting them or throwing Seattle off. But St. Louis, Dougie Armstrong, general manager of the St. Louis Blues, gives Bennington a 6 by 6 And before I let you guys comment, I'm just going to say this. I think the St. Louis Blues have a little bit, I think Doug Armstrong especially, has a little thing called cup fever. Now you might be wondering, what is cup fever? Rafi, are you a hockey doctor? I am no, I'm not a doctor. I'm an engineer. But what I can tell you is we Dr. saw Falafel checking in. Exactly. We saw this with the Blackhawks with notable contracts. We have seen this with Pittsburgh. We have seen this from the Kings, from the Bruins. Not really the Bruins, actually. Never mind. I take that back on the Bruins. But we saw it with the Rangers as well. Montreal, especially with Carey Price. When a team has a remarkable success, and especially when Stanley Cups, the instant thing among all sports is to keep the core pieces together at all costs. We saw what happened with Brent Seabrook. Didn't want to let him go. Sam Bowman gave him a terrible contract. The San Jose Sharks, we saw what happened with Brett Burns. We saw what happened to Eric Carlson. They wanted to keep those pieces together and continue to compete. 
this is exactly what's happening to St. Louis. You saw the O'Reilly extension. Okay, that was fine. The Brain Schwartz extension is six and a half million dollars for like six years, six more years. Jane Schwartz's contract's expiring. You have the Falcon Krug seven year, six year, six and a half million dollar contract, and now Bennington getting a six by six. I think he's a one year wonder. All those stats are still solid, but they're, these contracts are going to catch up to them, in my opinion, with all the term and all the money they're handing out right now. I think they have cup fever. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's national, not national, it's Women's History Month. Uh, last week was Women's Day. We didn't, like I said, we didn't miss it, but we want to acknowledge it because for whatever reason, uh, people still think that women should be inferior and don't belong where majority of men belong, i.e. hockey. And I'm going to say that couldn't be more incorrect and more false. And we're, we're going to touch on a few things here uh, in the next, you know, 10 minutes that we have left on our show. Let's talk first about the NWHL, the National Women's Hockey League. I, I'm not going to focus on the screw-up that was their bubble before, you know, the return of the Isabel Cup next weekend or in two weeks. That's not what I want to talk about. Because uh, that that's a league thing. That's a commissioner thing. Commission, the, the league did not handle their bubble properly. I want to talk about the game of women's hockey as a whole and the strides that it's taken in the last, like, five, six years. Women's hockey used to be just like a collegiate thing, right? Pro women's hockey was never in anyone's mind. And it started, I'm not saying the NWHL and the CWHL revolutionized it, but they've definitely put the sport on a pedestal that it hasn't had. And you see, uh, I forget what they call these games, but it's like uh, what they, the game that they had at Madison Square Garden two weeks ago. Uh, that, that like little scrimmage exhibition game. Uh, the NWHL having NBC and Twitch broadcast their games to, you know, spread the audience. Um, and so on and so on. And just giving women opportunities to be in hockey, in pro hockey, pro women's hockey. I think you watch the game. It's awesome. Like I found myself enjoying watching some NWHL games during the bubble more than I would enjoy watching some NHL games, depending on the teams, which is huge, right? And they were drawing like 100,000 people, viewership crowds, huge numbers. I don't know if that number is accurate, but for, you know, for women's professional sport, they were drawing huge numbers on Twitch, huge interactions on social media. It It's awesome seeing seeing it blossom and grow into this thing and be supported by so many people, so many pro hockey players, so many clubs. And I know I'm kind of going in circles, but I cannot stress how amazing that is for the game as a whole. Like it, it, it's, it's growing the game. It's spreading the game. I don't think it, it's a bad, like it's not a bad thing. It's awesome. I love it. I, 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 I want more, women's hockey. I want to see more women's hockey everywhere all the time. Figure it out, Gary Bettman. (laughs) Figure it out how to give it to people, especially with that ESPN contract with the NHL. Figure it out. 
But that's my little spiel on that. The Isabel Cup, NWHL's, uh, ver- you know, playoffs are returning March 26th and 27th. That's in two weeks. They've got four teams returning. One game semifinal, one final. Three games to figure out who is going to be crowned the Isabel Cup champion in a very weird season. It got paused in the middle of the bubble because a couple teams had outbreaks in the bubble. Again, that that's just a matter of how the league handled it. That's not a testament to the game and to women's hockey as a whole. But I'm excited. I, I am actually going to pay pretty close attention to it because I love hockey. And any hockey that I can get is much appreciated all the time. The women's hockey, <clears throat> excuse me, I've watched a few games and uh, I don't know. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, you know, I kind of expected it to be like maybe a little bit slower, a lot less physical than, you know, an NHL game. I was very surprised. It's arguably how... more physical. Like you could very yeah. much make an argument because there's no checking, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's one of the critiques of the game. It's one of the critiques of youth leagues. Not having checking because they're afraid that there's arguably going to be more aggression, but that's beside the point. Noah, continue. Yeah, it's uh, it's a physical game, not in the sense of, oh, you know, she just got completely lit up and sunrise hit, but it's just like a very, um, the style of the game is like very um, puck centered and not necessarily hit centered, which I like a lot. Um, I love watching NHL games where it's just about, you know, it's literally just about scoring goals and, you know, trying to maintain possession of the puck and not just going for hits. Um, and it was a fast game too. Um, I don't remember. I watched it a while ago, so I'm not sh- quite sure uh, which teams I had watched, but I remember it was a very fast game. Um, it was a pretty high scoring game too. It was very entertaining. And having that in addition um, to the NHL and like having them like kind of work with the NHL and work with TV markets like Logan, like you mentioned with NBC and with Twitch to get their name out there and to get um, uh, these women's names out there as professional hockey players and the league as a whole is huge for them. And it's, it was very exciting to watch. I'm likely going to watch all three games if I can of the Isabel Cup. And I'm very looking forward to seeing where this goes. Um, I hope it grows, and I hope it becomes, you know, a re- like recognizable um, among general hockey fans. Like the general hockey fan could name ten star women's players at the very least. I feel like that would be an incredible step for this the sport as a whole, and for NWHL and for women's hockey as a whole. especially for the younger generation too, right? Because you have, as a referee, you see, you know, a lot, there's a lot of boys uh, in youth hockey and very few girls. Um, so having... it's in, The number's increasing though. It is. Like it's exactly. Very much great. increasing. So having 
role models and people to look up to and saying, like we were talking about earlier, all the, you know, squirts and peewees were like, I want to be like Patrick Kane in 2010. Hopefully you have, uh, hopefully you have, you know, younger girls looking up to professional women's players be like, I want to be like her uh, when I grow up and following their dreams. I think that's, it creates a cycle that feeds off itself that you have more exposure. You have more young girls who want to play and who want to get involved. And that grows it even more, which is, um, which is a great thing. Like I said, for hockey as a whole, I don't know why people are just jumping on the women's hockey bandwagon. I guess I'll call it, but let me tell you when I was a, when I was playing travel, I was like not happy to play most girls teams because they normally kicked our ass. Like I have a very vivid memory. We played outside one season, a game against the Glenview stars girls team uh, at Watts ice center in Glencoe, Illinois. And they mobbed us like, like it was a four to one blowout. And then we had to play them like two weeks later in their own barn in Winnetka because that's just where they happened to play that season, I guess. Or that was their home rink for that game. And it sucked because we got, I, I, I think it was a better game for us, but we still lost. It was like a 5-3 game, if I remember correctly. They were always really good. Like, it was either they were really good or they weren't. And there was never an in-between. And it was usually they were really good. Because I don't know why, but to me, girls hockey's always been really good, and I've always really liked it, even if I was on the opposite end of an ass beating. But you know, that's just how it is. And I want to transition, kind of looking at NHL numbers and women in hockey, in NHL hockey, which I don't think you can argue this if you're working in the NHL in any capacity. I think you've made it. I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but I think it's like for every... I know this isn't like a legit stat, but just knowing based on what I... You know, the number that I've seen in in a graph that I saw somewhere of like front office representation by gender. And it was like... All but like five teams had at least one woman in their front office in some capacity. But a lot of them had like 1%, 2%, which is, I don't want to say expected, but expected. And it's it's only going up, but, you know, it's just something that needs to be talked about, I think. I think there is a serious lack of representation. You see the Blackhawks. Hiring Kendall Coyne in a like youth development role. And I said this when we talked about it as a news piece on the show. When the news dropped. I thought it was a great move. A, because if you know anything about the Chicago Blackhawks and youth development in the Chicagoland area. You know that they rock it. You know that they absolutely crush it. And hiring her was going to be huge for girls hockey in the area. Girls youth hockey. I don't want to see just, you know, star girls players. Uh, Kendall Coyne and... I mean, beats me. I don't know any other ones. Like I don't know any others off the top of my head. But it need you need to see more people, not in just like those youth development roles, because that's kind of a cop out, right? Right. 
I think you need I think you need to see women assistant general managers. I think it would be awesome to see a women assistant coach, women, you know, head trainers, goalie coaches, something like that. I I don't know how long it'll be before it start being commonplace in the NHL because I think they're a little uh, the NHL is a step behind, I think. You know, the NBA and the MLB and the NFL in terms of uh front office and, you know, higher up management role diversity. But I, I think it needs to happen sooner rather than later. I, I just think it's important to represent and have that viewpoint, right? Like, I, I sound like a cliche textbook. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Like, it sounds like a cliche textbook. But I, I, I don't think it's completely out of the question to say and genuinely believe that having women in a front office should be commonplace, right? A woman general manager should not be too far behind you know, too far around the corner in the grand scheme of things. I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it is Kendall, Kendall, uh, coin. Maybe it is someone that is currently playing in the NWHL that picks up a job as soon as she retires from there, you know, picks up an NHL job. I don't know, but I think it needs to happen sooner rather than later, just based on principle. And that's my take. As long as they, as long as they know how to do their job and they have the skills, I have no problem with it. I just don't like the idea. As long as they know what they're doing, I could care less about right. And I qualities think, that they have. I I, I think the the issue my, is. Continue, Robbie. Sorry. No, that's it. Yeah, I think what we talked about it uh, when Pittsburgh fired Jim Rutherford. It was the conversation that was happening across NHL fans when Jim Rutherford got fired from the GM job in Pittsburgh. Why, why are we always looking at the same five people to be a head coach, right? And I know this isn't necessarily the, the same thing because uh, a head coach isn't necessarily a job that someone retiring from the NWHL can definitely get and do properly. Or do at you an NHL level. It's being a head coach is a job that you work up in. We similar situation to Jeremy Colleton. Let but, him. It's it's like a development. You let him develop, yes. and when the time is right, and you have to move on from your head coach, you let him go, and you bring up the next guy. We saw with Washington. We obviously, as I mentioned, have seen it with Chicago. We're seeing. We saw it with Montreal when they fired Claude Julian. They found a, the next guy up. That's kind of how it works. Yeah, you develop yeah. your coaches into becoming who they are. You don't find a, any person in your front office like, "Hey, you, hey, you're the one." Like, no, of course. No, but my 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 point in bringing up that comparison, uh, my point in bringing up that comparison and having that rotation of coaches that are all and general managers that are always in the conversation is there is a serious lack of other people. That can be filled by very knowledgeable, and there are a lot of them. I know for a fact there are a lot of knowledgeable women in hockey and women that know a lot about hockey and running a sports team that could fill those roles, that could be an assistant GM and work their way up. I don't know why we don't see hirings like that. I, I think it's dumb that we haven't seen more, but I think it needs to change. I don't know how it's going to change, but I think it does because seeing the same names – I don't. I swear to God, the next GM that gets fired, and the first name that I see that Pierre Maguire is being interviewed for the job, I'm literally gonna, you know, break my phone. I think it's horse that 
he's like always in the running for a GM job. That Eddie Olchuk, that uh, Ron Hextall for the longest time. Jim Rutherford's going to be in there. Jason Botterill is going to be in there because he's the assistant GM in Seattle, right? The same seven to ten people are always going to be in there, and I think it needs to change. I think it's dumb, and I think women can ex- can really fill those fill those potentials and be the change. I don't know how, but they will, and it needs to happen soon. Foster. The big thing is, is that you know you want to hire the best guy for the job, the best I shouldn't say guy, best person for the job, right? And shouldn't matter whether they're male or female, whatever, right? And you're right, having the same seven name circling is frustrating. It's especially frustrating when Logan, you referenced that chart earlier of gender diversity in the front offices. Like the most diverse front office is the Maple Leafs with 16% women and 84% men. And then you have some teams like the Predators and the Capitals who have literally zero women or, you know, negligible women compared to the number of men that's like come on you couldn't find um there's got to be some people there that you can replace and yes maybe it's about finding the best person for the job but it also shouldn't just be about saying oh we have you know three women on our team and there's our diversity aha we we've solved you know generating inequality right like so i think as a whole women need to be taken more seriously for these jobs and that part of the reason that they may not be is because you know they're not getting recognition that they deserve within the hockey community which is part of the issue why they can't get a job which is unfortunate like logan you mentioned considering that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of knowledgeable women in hockey who would make uh, incredible assistant coaches trainers etc etc That about wraps it up for this episode of the Puck Talk Live podcast. Don't forget, next week is the one-year anniversary. Woo! Celebration. Pop the champagne bottles of the Puck Talk Live podcast. We appreciate everything you guys do for us thus far. We're looking forward to another year of greatness, even though it's not technically a year yet. Instagram. And at Puck Talk Live Podcast, click the link in our bio to find all the podcast platforms and all of our socials. Interact with us. We will love talking to you guys. We love talking hockey. That's why we do this show. Once again, my name is Logan Rosegard. We appreciate everything you guys do. And we will see you guys on the next episode. Take care.